Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. morning. Happy Advent. And thank you, Kenny G, for being with us. That's just magnificent. (laughs) I was almost going to say, Kenny, eat your heart out, but that's not a Christian thing to say, so there we are. There we are. Friends, we are here to celebrate the joy of Christian fellowship, the joy of knowing the Lord, the joy of welcoming the Lord to be with us as we worship and praise Him. So let us join together in a common call to worship as we speak these words responsively from the letter to the Romans. We know what time it is, how it is now the moment for us to wake from sleep. The night is far gone, the day is near. Friends, let us worship God. Sometimes we hold such regret for the past and so much anxiety and fear for the future that we can't even engage in the present. In reality, all we have is now, this moment. So in this moment, let's go to God in confession. God of the future, you are coming in power to bring all nations under your rule. 
We confess that we have not expected your kingdom, for we live casual lives, ignoring your promised judgment. We accept lies as truth, exploit neighbors, abuse the earth, and refuse your justice and peace. In your mercy, forgive us. Grant us wisdom to welcome your way and to seek things that will endure when Christ comes to judge the world. Amen. Hear us, O God, as we spend a moment in silence, pouring out our hearts and our own personal prayers of confession. Amen. The psalmist responds to his own query with this declaration. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Friends, God holds the past, the present, and the future. And in divine goodness, I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. May the peace of Christ be with you. As we prepare to greet one another, we remind you that our fifth grade and younger are now excused to go with their Sunday school leaders. And we want you to turn to each other and greet each other with a holy good morning and God bless. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, we read, Incline your ear and come to listen to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make, you, make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands.
on this third Sunday of Advent as we prepare to welcome the coming of the Christ of God into the world. We light the candle of joy. We anticipate that time when the weary world will rejoice in the news that the Lord is come and the whole earth will receive her king. Let us be filled and such joy with such joy even now. Great job, guys. You know, every once in a while, I need somebody to hold me up so that I can reach something. <laughs> I want to conduct a, a very fast, informal poll here. How many of you are completely calm, collected, at peace? Everything is already ready for Christmas. If you are that kind of person, will you please raise your hand? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, that was about the same proportion as the nine o'clock service. Juan, I'm convinced that these people aren't doing anything. That, that's, there we go. Ah, well. It is a busy time of year, of course, still for us as we celebrate this Christmas season. So let me remind you that this afternoon at three o'clock, with the doors opening at 2.30, we are going to gather for carols at the village. This is an opportunity for all of us to sing together, not the traditional Christmas carols that we sing in church, Silent Night and such, but so many of the other great songs of Christmas itself. It's a kid-friendly event. There's lots of stuff for the kids to do. There's going to be some goodies and drinks, and we will sing together. So uh, if you would like to wear your Christmas sweaters, whether they are ugly or not, that's perfectly fine with us. This coming Saturday at 9 o'clock in the morning, just from 9 till 10, we'll have our traditional Luminaria party. You'll be invited to fill little paper bags with some sand and then to take small candles and put them into the bags, into the sand. That's the entire technical aspect of the, of the program. Uh, and that will prepare the Luminarias for Christmas Eve and the beautiful light that they give as we light the way for the Holy Family to find their place at the stable. On Christmas Eve, one week from today, we will have one service in the morning. It will be at 10 o'clock, not 10.30, not 9. It will be a contemporary service. And the sermon will be different from the sermon that will be preached the other four services. So I expect all of you to be here at 10. <laughs> and either 2, 4, 6, and 11, or all of the above. The 2 o'clock service will feature our children's musical program, and it'll be especially appropriate for the families and kids. 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock, we'll have the choir, soloists, brass, dancing bears, people parachuting in, all kinds of things going on. No dancing bears? Ah, well, legal liabilities, I'm sure. And then at 11 o'clock, we will have a beautiful, more contemplative style service that will end with the Lord's Supper. We would invite you and encourage you, if you plan to come at 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock, to be here a bit early so that you can get an appropriate parking space. We do expect the parking lot to be 
overflowing, and many of you will need to park on the streets. Please be respectful of the neighbors and of the fact that these are active streets. We hope to have some off-site parking available for you, and we'll let you know about that in the uh, Wednesday News and Notes email blast. Then on Christmas, what some people now call Christmas Day on Christmas, which, Bill, once again, it is the 25th of December this year, same time. We can all gather at Ventura Cove in Mission Bay Park uh, to be part of the branch barbecue, serving uh, a meal and passing out some needed items to folks who need a little extra help this year. And then two weeks from today, two weeks from today is December 31st, New Year's Eve, we will have again one service at 10 o'clock in the morning that will be a unified service, contemporary, traditional, everything that we can think of all thrown into one. So we hope to join with you as you come to worship with us. Let me invite Jan Cook to share a moment for mission with us. Every time we hear echo of angels speaking words of peace on earth, and every time we live as shepherds risking moments of new birth, and every time we see God giving gifts beyond all earthly worth, in our living and in our giving, we are there kneeling in Bethlehem. This year's theme for our Christmas joy offering is We Are There. Several times a year, we join together with our sister churches all over the country in pooling our resources in order to provide a wide impact for several causes. The Christmas Joy Offering marks one of those special times, and it has been a cherished tradition of the Presbyterian Church since 1930. This morning, you received an envelope that looks like this for the Christmas Joy Offering. And God has blessed the church with such incredible leaders in the past, the present, and we know for sure for the future. But these leaders often need help in the community supporting them as well as the, the leaders supporting the community. The Christmas Joy Offering invests in our leaders past, present, and future in two different ways. First, it helps current and retired church workers and their families in a time of need. You may not know this, but quite often people who have served as missionaries or Christian educators in non-ordained positions end up in retirement with little or no retirement or long-term care or no ability to respond to a medical crisis. People who have all their lives have taken care of other people are in need of care for themselves and the Christmas Joy Offering helps to serve that population. And the second way it supports our leadership is that it supports Presbyterian-related schools and colleges that provide education and leadership development for people of color. This has been an important part of the Presbyterian Church for over 140 years. Many of the students attending Presbyterian colleges and schools are the first in their families to uh, enroll in higher education. And this is a worthy investment into the future leadership. When we give to the Christmas Joy Offering, we share our love with the leaders of our church, and past, present, and in the future. So please share your gifts 
with those who so generously share their gifts all of their lives and with devotion to their future as well. Even as we prayerfully consider giving to this uh, Christmas joy offering, we now consider the wonderful, the wonderful event and the wonderful uh, participation and gift of this particular church at this particular time in this particular place. What a gift this church is to the community that we sit in. And so we want to do wonderful things for this community. So prepare your hearts as we prepare to give our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings. Prepare your hearts with joy. Thank you. 
Please be seated. I invite you to be present in this moment, to let go of all the plans you have for this afternoon and all the things you've already been through this morning, and just be here in this moment as we go to God in prayer. Let's go to God. Eternal God who knows no beginning and no end, ageless redeemer of our past and our present and our future, mystifying spirit who cannot be contained, who will not be limited by space and time. You reached out from your mystery with the long arms of grace and you wrapped our world in the divine embrace of your revealing. You came. You who cast the first star into the ink of midnight, you whose voice summoned all things to have breath and life, you who sang the song of morning and awakened creation into the dawn, you came. Not an angel, not a messenger, not the brightest star with the most burning speech, but you, you came. You so loved us and we cried out and you came. Not as a sword to cut, not as a judge to condemn, not to imprison or oppress. You came as a child born to us, a son given to us, and authority rests on your shoulders and you are named Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And the gratitude that we feel runs down our face like a stream of life in the desert. O oh God, that we, made in your image, would each be born as a promise of hope and peace to the world. That we would invest in and nurture and nourish all life with the reverence we hold for the Christ child. For every new life is your gift of possibility for this earthly future. You came in vulnerability and you made sacred this first step. Help us, gentle Savior, to be tender with the vulnerable and to have the courage to be vulnerable with the tender. You lived as a child of poverty, feeling the gnaw of an empty belly at night and the desperation of parents seeking to provide. So help us, O oh God, not to distance ourselves from those who are hungry, but to draw close and provide what we can, wherever we can and whenever we can. You, sacred one, lived as a refugee in your own land, imprisoned by oppressors and made low by arrogance and greed. Oh God, we ask that you might let our hearts burn with compassion and creativity for the refugee. We can do better, we must because you came to set the captives free, and so must we. You came, dear one, and stood in the long line and among all who sinned and had come to be cleansed. You did not move to the front as some would have had you do. You did not skip this step as some urged you. You stood among us, the people, and waited and were washed in baptism. Let us not be impatient or entitled when we wait among your people, dear Lord. 
open our hearts to listen to their story and to share our own. And in the quiet space between us, holiness mingles like sweet herbs whose aroma finds favor with you and how we wish to find your favor ever-present and loving spirit. You came, dear Lord. In humility, you came. In vulnerability, you came. In oneness with all creation, you came. Wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, you came. And in your coming, you shared with us a prayer, and all of us spoke together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our first reading is from the book of Job. Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, when I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was still with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were washed with milk, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. And now from the book of Ecclesiastes. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you even ask this question. Lastly, here is a reading from the letter to the Hebrews. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have three events all in the afternoon. The word of the Lord. The Lord had nothing to do with the creation of Siri. <laughs> there we are. But the Lord did have lots to do with the creation of a few other things that we're going to talk about for a moment. Thanks, Paul, for reading. I hope that you had a chance to read this morning's devotional in our Advent devotional booklet. I had been praying fervently, asking God to give me something to begin this morning's sermon with, and finally, at six o'clock in the morning, just in the nick of time, Lord, I opened the devotional and read it, as I'm sure many of you do. It was written by a member of our village church, and it tells a story that he has told me before and that I never tire of hearing about his growing up as a boy in wartime London. He told me that as a little boy, he would play in the bombed out buildings and sometimes would find things there, people there that no one should ever have to find. He told about being terrified as a young child by air raid sirens, 
But then he also told about the wonderful respite that would come at Christmas time. This man grew up as many young boys in England singing in an Anglican church choir and he learned to love music and so he learned that he could gather some of his friends at Christmas time and go around to the neighborhoods there in war-ravaged London and sing Christmas carols. And if they were lucky, they might even be handed a penny or two. He writes in the devotional that to this young heart, it was music that was expressing God's love and tranquility in an upside-down world, just the opposite to real life. Christmas was the only part of the year that gave me that deep shalom peace every year during World War II. So thank you, Alan Goodman, for sharing that memory. And by the way, along with Pope Francis and Alan Goodman, happy 87th birthday today. <laughs> Music, of course, is a huge part of our Christmas celebrations here at the Village Church, and I don't know if you realized it, but in that magnificent anthem that we just had, we had really sort of a parable of Advent itself. Did you tell your choir about this one? Okay, well, I'm going to tell the rest of the, of the congregation. We'll see if we say the same thing. So I don't know about you, but, you know, the choir stood up, and, and we had a violin stand up, and but then we had the bongo drums and a saxophone. I thought, what in the world is going to go on? And, and for a few minutes, we had these ethereal sounds of the Father's love begotten. Just magnificent, right? But I kept waiting for when you were going to bring in the drums and the sax. That's what Advent is. We have a beautiful message from God saying he's going to take care of the whole world, and we wait and we wait and we wait for the drums and the sacks to come in, and then boom, at Christmas time. That's when the joyous celebration breaks loose. I hereby decree as senior pastor of the Village Church that we will do that piece every Advent. <laughs> this Advent season, we have been looking at some of the wonderful music of Christmas, not the religious music, not the traditional Christmas carols. We've been singing those too. But we've been looking at how it is that some of the songs that we love to sing, that we love to hear, have deeply religious themes in them. Maybe we haven't learned to listen to them this way, but I hope by now that you are listening to all those great songs of Christmas and listening for hints of the Lord in them, of how God may be speaking something to us and, and how in some ways we are speaking something to God. So many of our great Christmas songs touch on deep matters of the human heart. And no, I'm not talking about Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. One of those songs that is a perennial favorite, by some counts it is the most popular song in the world, certainly it is 
one of the two or three most popular songs ever written, ever recorded, ever sung, goes like this. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright and may all your Christmases be white. That song is a deeply moving song to so many because of the nostalgia that's in it, of the wistful longing that it expresses for all of us of something that used to be. White Christmas was written in 1940 by Irving Berlin, a Jewish immigrant to the United States. It was sung first in public by Bing Crosby on his national radio show on Christmas Day, 1941. We're told by those who study such things that this song established the fact that there could be commercially successful secular Christmas songs. Dave Marsh and Steve Propes write that White Christmas changed Christmas music forever, both by revealing the huge potential market for Christmas songs and by establishing the themes of home and nostalgia that would run through Christmas music evermore. Listen to the music that you think you know and listen for the nostalgia that's there. That's what I want to talk about today. Have you ever noticed how nostalgia, that, that longing and yearning and dreaming about the past is really not just about the past. It's also connected to the present and to the future. We long for the good old days, especially when these days don't seem so good. Perhaps we are most nostalgic when we're facing struggles and problems and challenges in life. But nostalgia is not just about our present circumstance. It's also about the future. When we look into the future and try to predict what will happen, we realize that we cannot do that. And so we turn immediately to look at the past, where we can predict with 100% certainty <laughs> what has happened. Charles Dickens knew that looking at the past, looking at the present, looking at the future, through the eyes of nostalgia was, was so much part of the human experience. He wrote a story about Ebenezer Scrooge, who had an encounter with three ghosts. You know who they were, the ghost of Christmas past, 
Christmas present, Christmas future. The human mind struggles to comprehend time. The human heart struggles to comprehend how we will live through today and what in the world we might do tomorrow by looking at the past. It should be no surprise to any of us who are students of Scripture, students of Christian faith, that of course the Scriptures address this human propensity to be so nostalgic. Job, oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. You know about Job. He had everything. When Job talked about the good old days, boy, were they good. Some people suggest that Job is a fictional character. Others suggest that perhaps the story is based on someone, but that it's been expanded and, and, and enlarged beyond all possibility. But I frankly don't care because Job says the truth. Job speaks the truth that even when we have everything, we can lose it. We're always afraid of losing it. In fact, some of the people I find most fearful about the future are those who have so much. Job had it all. Job lost it all except for his life, and that too was endangered. And so he looked back. Oh, that I were back in the past again. Another Old Testament book expresses this human nostalgic tendency. The book of Ecclesiastes. The sage writer there says, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? Ecclesiastes needs a little bit of the gospel of Christ thrown into it to understand exactly what it's talking about. But Ecclesiastes is brutally, beautifully honest about what real life is like. And any of us who have any years behind us so often will say, why were the former days better than these? We are nostalgic about what was. Why are we that way? Why are we that way? Uh, There, I'm sure, are many reasons for why the human heart is nostalgic, but the reason that I think is probably the most important, the most powerful, is that when we look back at the past, we can celebrate the fact that we survived. That's it. Oh, for the good old days, we got through them. We're still here. We want to be able to say that about today. And right now, today's looking pretty good, but there's still quite a few hours left. We don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. We want to say it about tomorrow, but tomorrow's even more uncertain. And so, it is our tendency to go to the past when we know that at least we survived. But there's a problem with that. 
Here's some deep wisdom, especially for the young folks that are here. The problem with looking back is that the past isn't here anymore. <laughs> you knew that. You can't go back to the past. You might not want to. If you're honest about the past, it, it wasn't nearly as good as your nostalgic memory remembers it. And we have to deal with that fact too. Sometimes what we look at in the past is not so great. Who can celebrate a childhood of playing in bombed out buildings or not having enough food because of a depression or worrying about the draft and going off to war or whatever it is that we have experienced in the past that wasn't good. Nostalgia presents us with a problem. We can all look back and see some good things. We can all look back and see some bad things. But regardless of that, we still have to deal with today, don't we? We know that one of the terrible symptoms of depression is that when a person becomes severely depressed, oftentimes they just refuse to deal with the day that's ahead of them. We call it feeling so terrible that you just stay in bed, right? With the covers over your head, so you don't have to deal with the day. You do have to deal with today. You do have to deal with tomorrow. I think that's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, do not say why were the former days better than these, for it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Nostalgia can be productive, it can be instructive, it's a lot of fun, but you have to move beyond that. It is not wisdom, it is not wise, it's not smart to live in the past. But what do we do? We can't promise what will happen five seconds from now, five days from now, five years from now. What do we do? I have good news. That's pretty much why I'm up here, <laughs> is to tell you good news. God does not leave us alone in our past, in our future, in our present. God does not leave us alone to deal with this problem that we have. Our God has dealt with the past and the future and the present all at once. Job had a hint of that. Job had an inkling of that. In the most famous passage of Job, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God. Job had everything, he lost everything except for his faith and his hope in a living God who loved him. You and I, I think, have an advantage over Job, and that is that God expressed, after the time of Job, God expressed the truth. God embodied the truth. God lived the truth. 
about who he was and is and always will be in an unmistakable way, especially to those of us who know Jesus. In the letter to the Hebrews, in the letter to the Hebrews, we have an amazing discussion by someone who is most likely a Jew who has come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Whoever wrote the letter knew their Bible upside and downside, in and out. Now remember, their Bible was the Old Testament. The the letter to the Hebrews gives us a beautiful discussion of what God was doing in the creation of the earth and the calling of a family, the family of Abraham, and leads us up to understanding then who Jesus is. Jesus is God's answer to so many things, to everything, and also the answer to our problem with nostalgia, to our problem with time, to our problem of being so in love with the past that was not nearly as good as we remember it being, and our problem of looking at the present, which is maybe absolutely terrible, but it still could get worse, with our problem of of looking at the future and simply not knowing. The letter to the Hebrews says that we can say with confidence that the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I think that phrase needs some unpacking. When I was growing up, it was popular to memorize that phrase because it was easy to memorize. (laughs) And because it was profound. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Happy Advent. And thank you, Kenny G, for being with us. That's just magnificent. <laughs> I was almost going to say, Kenny, eat your heart out, but that's not a Christian thing to say, so there we are. There we are. Friends, we are here to celebrate the joy of Christian fellowship, the joy of knowing the Lord, the joy of welcoming the Lord to be with us as we worship and praise Him. So let us join together in a common call to worship as we speak these words responsively from the letter to the Romans. We know what time it is, how it is now the moment for us to wake from sleep. The night is far gone, the day is near. Friends, let us worship God. Sometimes we hold such regret for the past and so much anxiety and fear for the future that we can't even engage in the present. In reality, all we have is now, this moment. So in this moment, let's go to God in confession. God of the future, you are coming in power to bring all nations under your rule. 
We confess that we have not expected your kingdom, for we live casual lives, ignoring your promised judgment. We accept lies as truth, exploit neighbors, abuse the earth, and refuse your justice and peace. In your mercy, forgive us. Grant us wisdom to welcome your way and to seek things that will endure when Christ comes to judge the world. Amen. Hear us, O God, as we spend a moment in silence, pouring out our hearts and our own personal prayers of confession. Amen. The psalmist responds to his own query with this declaration. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Friends, God holds the past, the present, and the future. And in divine goodness, I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. May the peace of Christ be with you. As we prepare to greet one another, we remind you that our fifth grade and younger are now excused to go with their Sunday school leaders. And we want you to turn to each other and greet each other with a holy good morning and God bless. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, we read, Incline your ear and come to listen to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make you make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands.
on this third Sunday of Advent as we prepare to welcome the coming of the Christ of God into the world. We light